Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. Well, I want to thank some of you who are praying for my persecution camping last week. Thank you. Except for Steve and Jeannie Becker who threatened to pay for an extra week. They don't realize we paid for the season. We're stuck there. Having some fun. You guys aren't in a fun mood, okay. It's so funny to look out and see everybody's so spaced out. No, no, like spaced out in distance, not spaced out in your mind. <laughs> oh, man. Turn with me, Luke chapter 10. I got a lot to say today. I got a lot to say. I don't know if anybody will make any sense, but I still got a lot to say. We'll see if we can make sense out of it. Uh, obviously, we've got a lot of things facing our country, and um, we're going to address some of that today. We're going to talk about Pentecost Sunday, and, um, but it might be a little different than what you normally hear. Um, so we'll just see what happens this morning. But Luke chapter 10, there, there's a, a passage of Scripture beginning with verse 25. The Bible says an expert in the law came to Jesus. And I'm going to title this message today, The Other Side of the Road. All right, how many know you shouldn't drive on the other side of the road? You know, who, who is it that, oh, my, my son-in-law. My son-in-law tells me that watching NASCAR racing would be a whole lot more interesting if they had just one car going in the opposite direction. <laughs> yes, I live with him. Pray for me, right? And a lawyer stood up, the expert in the law stood up and put him to the test and said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, anybody ever wanted to justify himself? How many of you ever tried that with God? How'd that work out? But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes on with the parable that we know. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. That's the wrong one. All right. Okay, well, I lost my place. All right, then he goes on and tells him about the story of the Good Samaritan. Let me read some of that to you this morning. He says, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him, and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Let me stop there for a moment, and let me talk to that about a moment. Here's a man on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's about an 18-mile journey, I believe, if I remember that right. And this was a road that was known to be very treacherous, very dangerous, robbers, thieves, bandits, and so forth. But here's a man on this journey, does not tell us who the man is, it doesn't tell us what the man is, it just tells us it's a man. And here's a man, through no fault of his own, has injustice dealt to him. How many know it is an injustice when you're going down the road and somebody decides to beat you, strip you, and rob from you and leave you half dead? That is an injustice that is in the land. And this man, through no fault of his own, was stripped naked. How many know that is a shameful condition to put somebody? He was, through no fault of his own, beaten, injured. He was, through no fault of his own, robbed, and no fault of his own, does it tell us? It doesn't tell us the identity of this man, for it does not matter. How many know it does not matter if this man was Jewish, if this man was Gentile? It doesn't matter if he was a Roman. It doesn't matter who he was. How many know injustice is injustice no matter who it comes against? All right, so you have this injustice. And in the face of the injustice, we must understand something, okay? And listen to me. You and I saw in our country this past week a grave injustice done to an individual. 
If you could watch the George Floyd video and not walk away angry, there is something wrong with you and the Spirit of God is not dwelling within you before it is an injustice that was perpetrated upon a man that should have never been done, whether he is black, white, purple, orange, pink, or whatever. It was an injustice. How many know the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ, must be angry at injustice? How many know we must be outraged by injustice, right? And I'm talking across the board. There's injustice against women. There's injustice with human trafficking. There's injustice when children are being molested and children are being this. There's injustice whenever it's, uh, no matter what color it is, there's an injustice. And the church, if they're going to represent God, must operate in justice because how many know God is just? And if God is just, how many know his people must be just? And if God works justice, how many know his people must work justice? And so there was this injustice. And injustice causes anger. And listen to me, we're going to talk a lot about what's going on in our country. We're going to apply scripture today. And you look across the country, and okay, there's outrage, there's anger. And yes, there absolutely are people who are exploiting it to loot and to steal and to rob. But do not let it take you from the main issue, which is the injustice that was done to a man. That is what's happening in our country as we're being distracted now by those who are doing injustice in response to injustice. Right? We must stick to the main thing, which is the injustice that was absolutely dealt to a man. It's just, it's incredibly disturbing to me as I watch that over and over. You see, injustice causes anger. Repeated injustice causes outrage. You know, I I want to begin with this, and this is not going to be about me, but I want to touch this for a moment. You see, I know a little bit about injustice. I cannot tell you what it is to be a black man growing up in this country. I cannot tell you what it is to be uh, somebody who's been uh, prejudiced against because of my skin color. I do know a little bit about injustice. You see, seven years ago, somebody put my boy in a river. He did not drown. He did not drown in that river. He died outside of that river, and somebody put him in that river. And seven years later, we have no justice. We have no answers. And there are times where it makes me incredibly angry. And there are times that when I deal with that injustice, there are times that it makes me cynical towards authority. It makes me cynical towards the state police who never ever treated us in a way that I think they should have. It makes me cynical through law enforcement agents that should have done something, but you feel disempowered, you feel disenfranchised, you feel marginalized, and you feel like nobody cares because in reality, those who should care obviously don't care. And there was never any justice brought. And I can tell you what it does to your psyche. I can tell you what it does in your mind. Now, here's what I want to tell you today. But it does not control me and it does not rule me because of the spirit of my God who lives inside of me, who brings me joy every day, who brings me gladness every day. It's his work I receive, not mine to gain. All right? Now, have that repeated on me over and over and over and over and over and repeated injustice over and over and over and I might become a little more angry, and I might become a little more outraged, and I might come back a little bit more snapped, if you will. But injustice demands action. Here's a man in the Bible that shows us that he's on a journey, and he has got an injustice that is dealt upon him. And he's laying there naked, he's laying there beaten, he's laying there robbed, and the Bible says he was left half dead. And then it tells us, and by chance, a priest was going down the road. 
And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Hmm. Likewise, a Levite also, when he saw him, passed by on the other side. I want to show you something. It's just amazing to me. <laughs> just amazing to me. I'll show you something in a minute. You see, let's look at this. So Jesus is saying, the expert in the law, probably a priest, says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives this parable of this man who has got an injustice dealt to him. And now he shows a priest. The priest was one who offers sacrifices and was busy with sacred rites. And then a Levite. And the Levite is someone who served the priest. It was their duty to keep the sacred utensils and the temple clean, to provide the sacred loaves, to open and shut the gates of the temple, to sing the sacred hymns of the temple, and do many other things. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. <laughs> I, want you to see, I want you to see this. Here's a dude laying there naked, beaten, robbed, and half dead, and the church went to the other side of the road. The church went to the other side of the road. Now, I, if I go to the other side of the road, I don't have to do anything about it. If I go to the other side of the road, I don't have to look on it. Maybe I won't see it as much. I'm going to go to the other side of the road because I don't want to touch that and get unclean. I don't want to touch that and become dirty. I'm going to go to the other side of the road. We're going to go over here, and we're going to keep singing our sacred songs. We're going to keep doing our sacred things. We're going to stay busy with the action of the church, but we're going to disengage from what has happened on this side of the road where injustice is running rampant. <clears throat> I mean, you know, we've been called to speak to injustice, no matter what level it is. No matter what level it is, no matter if it's racism. Because I mean, I'll tell you what, racism, sexism, classism, elitism, all of those things are all injustices. They are injustice in the land. When he saw him, he passed. In the face of injustice, he passed by on the other side. From the other side, he could render no justice. From the other side, he could provide no healing and no help. From the other side, he could provide no assistance and no mercy and no compassion. He had a view from the other side, but would not step into the fray. From the other side, he could see the effects of injustice but do nothing about it. From the other side, he could see the effects of injustice, but it didn't impact him because he's on the other side. From the other side, he could point a finger and say, well, it's your fault. You shouldn't have been there anyhow. Hmm? Check it out. This is amazing. I don't read many commentaries, but I never read commentary before I do my own study, but then sometimes I'll look at them at the end. And I read something that blew me away. This is from Bob Barclay, and a brilliant theologian. This is what he wrote. He said he was an obviously reckless and foolhardy character. People seldom attempted to Jerusalem to Jericho Road alone, for if they were carrying goods or valuables, seeking safety in numbers, they traveled in convoys or caravans. This man had no one but himself to blame for the plight in which he found himself. <laughs> I like that. So what? Say, like, what? Do you? Do you, like, this is, a, this is a, a, a gifted theologian. Do you see what he wrote? It doesn't matter if the guy was alone or the hundred. It was injustice that was perpetrated on him. Just because he was alone and vulnerable does not mean that he should have had justice, injustice done to him, and it wasn't his fault. Mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. 
We will say, we will say this, oh, that man gave a, a fake $20 bill. I don't care. I don't care. They don't deserve to be dead today. I don't care. Do not even try to wrap this up. Do not even try to justify. Do not even try to rationalize. There's no, there's no excuse. It's despicable. It's deplorable. We all agree on that. But yet, many other times, in many other situations, we find ourselves trying to rationalize and minimize something that happens. It's unjust. It's unjust. This man was not to blame. The robbers were to blame. The bandits were to blame. The thieves were to blame. You can't blame the victim. Blame the victim. It's unbelievable. But the church is passing by on the other side. May we not be a church that's on the other side. Then Jesus said, but there was this other guy, a Samaritan. <laughs> I know Jesus has a way of just putting a knife right to you. Ah! He's speaking to the Jews, the leaders, the experts in the law, who hate the Samaritans. There's been a 700-year feud between them. They hate each other. They're prejudiced. They won't even walk through Samaria. All right? They can't stand each other. James and John, love, this, love that passage of Scripture, the Samaritan village that wouldn't receive Jesus, because they rejected Jesus, James and John says, you, you want us to call down fire and destroy them? <laughs> what is that? Like, what is that? That is, that, I mean, no, it's amazing to me. We forget Jesus dealt with racism. He had racist in his 12. How <laughs> I many you know the Holy Spirit worked it out of them? But how I many you know he had racist in his 12? And he looked at them and his way said to them, he rebuked them and he said, you don't know what kind of spirit you're of. You don't know what spirit you're of because it's not my spirit. Because I will say to you today, if you have a racist spirit in you, you do not have the spirit of God in you. It is not God's spirit. It's just not. They were willing, they would not, I wonder if they would have been willing had it been a Jewish village. I have my doubts. But when the Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, poured oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Hmm. Notice he didn't go to the other side of the road. Notice that when he saw the one who was afflicted with injustice, the one who was naked and ashamed and vulnerable and beaten and whipped and whatever else, left for dead, you notice what he did. The Bible says he saw him. I got a question this morning. Do you see injustice? Do you see it? Not just with William Floyd, but do you see injustice? And what does it do inside of you when you see injustice? If the spirit of the living God is inside you, it should stir something up. You see, many people, Bethany talked about her heart being heavy, but what's going on? I was talking to Lynn's this morning. She said her heart was so heavy. My heart is heavy over what's going on in our nation, but my spirit is angry. Come on. Come on, church. How many know we can be angry? I would suggest we should be angry. Why would we not be angry in the face of injustice? Do you see him? Do you see injustice? Do you see the effects of it in our land? How does it make you feel? And the Bible says that when he saw him, something happened. Something happened. 
compassion welled up within him. Compassion. Do you know how many miracles Jesus did in the Bible because of his compassion? So many times, over and over and over, it says, and he had compassion, and he healed, and he had compassion, and he cast out of him, and he had compassion, and he raised the woman's dead son. He had compassion. Compassion has always been the foundation of the miraculous of God. It means to move, to move from the bowels, to be moved with compassion. And he had compassion at what he saw, and then he healed him. You see, we see the injustice and we see the wounds. And then we see the injustice that is responding to injustice rather than pour oil and wine. What we, what's happening right now? Right now, we saw what happened to that man. We saw the outrage. We saw the protest. And now we see those who are returning injustice for injustice who shouldn't be looting. Yes, we know that. Who should not be robbing. Yes, we know that. Who should not be family. Yes, we know that. But be quiet and deal with the main issue. It is not our time and our place to chastise somebody else's kids. I ain't coming into your home and disciplining your children. And I'm not gonna speak to that community and tell them what they shouldn't be doing. I'm gonna speak to the love of Jesus Christ that talks about the injustice that has invaded the land. But see, because I'm gonna tell you something, because I'm telling you what's happening. Once we get caught up in what has happened, there would be no protest and there would be no looting and there would be no robbing if there wouldn't have been some dude killed by another guy sticking his knee on his neck. Let us not lose, fat tra- let us, let us not lose track of what the facts are. No, they should not be doing it. But don't you think for a moment there isn't a grander scheme behind it. He saw the wounds and he began to pour oil and wine. What happened to my screen, Troy? We see the wounds. And we should be right now, what we should be doing with our words, we should be pouring oil and wine, wounds. We should be pouring oil. We should be pouring balm. But rather, we're, some of us are pouring salt into the wound. It is not time to pour salt into the wound. It's just not. My words right now should be redemptive. My words should be something that bring life and healing. He carried his burden, the Bible says. He took and put him on his own horse, and then, or his own donkey or whatever it was, and then he cared for him when he got there. And then he invested in the injustice. Come on, how many know, church, we need to invest in the injustice in the land. He made an investment into it. And I'm going to tell you what's happening right now. Some of you are just already ticked off at me. It'll be all right. I make myself angry sometimes. I don't like what I say sometimes either. But I'm telling you who the church is in the moment and what we're to be about. You see, let me tell you about this Samaritan. You see, the priest and the Levite, they saw the injustice. The church saw it and went to the other side of the road. The church saw the man in his state, saw the injustice and saw its effect and went over there. The Samaritan saw it, and he ministered. You see, the Samaritan took responsibility for what he wasn't responsible for. I mean, no, it wasn't his fault that dude was beaten. I mean, no, it wasn't his fault that that guy was robbed. 
How many know he didn't do it and he wasn't, uh, it wasn't, but how many know there's sometimes we need to take responsibility for what we're not responsible for? How many know Jesus took responsibility for what he wasn't responsible for? Jesus went to the cross for the sin that he didn't commit. He went to the cross for you and I. He went and provided justice for you and I who didn't deserve it. Sometimes we got to take responsibility for what we're not responsible for. You know, it's amazing. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. I got a lot to say. Did I tell you a lot to say today? Just because you didn't create it doesn't mean you can't take responsibility for it. There's lots of things as a church that we weren't responsible for, but we took responsibility for. There's lots of things we have as a church that we didn't create. We didn't create the mess on the 11th Street building in Hope Community, did we, John? But we took responsibility for it. We didn't create the mess that caused it to be condemned. We didn't create the mess that left dilapidated properties all over. We didn't create the mess, but we took responsibility as the people of God. It's not enough to say it's not my responsibility. It's not enough to say I didn't create it. It's not enough to say I didn't cause it. Just because you didn't create it doesn't make you can't take responsibility for it. You see, I got to remind us for a moment who we are. I got to remind us. You see, we're talking to believers this morning. And let me remind you who we are out of Revelation. And they, the angels, sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain. And, oh, I lost my place. You, <laughs> for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe. Everybody, everybody say every. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. How many know the blood of Jesus knows no racism? And you have made them, who? The redeemed, to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. They shall serve the God on the earth. How many know this morning that we are the redeemed priest of God? We are the redeemed, bought with a price, priest of God. We are living, breathing priests. Now the question is, are we the priest that's going to go on the other side of the road, or are we going to stay over here and minister to injustice? Or are we going to stay over here and minister to the injured? And the injustice has happened in the land. You see, we are the people of God. Now, that tells you our redemption and who we are. Let me tell you what Jesus said to his disciples. Acts 1.8. We know the scripture well, don't we? It's Pentecost Sunday. Acts 1.8. Acts chapter 2. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody give me a whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> We're like power. Right? We're going to play Tim the Tollman Taylor. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? We're like power. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. I think they might have done this. All right, Samaria, we got to go there. Yeah, you got to go there, even those people you hate. And even to the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, this is the deal. This is who you are, that you are, we are his priests empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a prophetic witness of a king in a kingdom, not of this world. You, you know who we are? We are the blood-bought, born-again children of God to live as a priest in this world to be a prophetic witness of a king and a kingdom, not of this world. And we're getting sucked into the ways of this world. Our speech is getting sucked into the ways of this world. That's not who we are. That's not what we are. Right? Right? You know, the, the problem is, 
You see, the problem is sometimes we forget we were called to be prophetic witnesses, not political witnesses. And everybody say, ouch. <laughs> now, I'm gonna put a disclaimer out for a moment. I watched this Floyd thing, I did that. Watched him. I have been on social media and the news very little in the past few days. I posted a video yesterday, but I've been on very little. Why? Two reasons. One, I really can't take much more of it. Number two, I don't want anybody to say, you read my Facebook post and you're preaching about me. No, that was, last, that was two weeks ago. <laughs> but I know what's out there. Who in the world do you think you're impacting by you chastising those people and your 900 friends on Facebook? All you're speaking to is your 900 friends that think like you anyhow. What good do you think you're doing? Did it feel good to rant? I hope you feel better. How did it make you feel? Oh boy, I am not making friends today. If you're gonna post something, why don't you post the word of God? If you're gonna post something, why don't you post something that comes from God's word that will heal broken hearts? Come on. You've got a platform. And that platform is not to support a political party. It is to support a kingdom, not of this world. You're a prophetic witness. A prophetic witness. We are the, his redeemed, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a prophetic witness of a king and a kingdom, not of this world. Look at this as we consistently live in what I'm going to call redemptive behaviors, right? If you've been redeemed, how many know redemptive behaviors should go with it, right? What are those? Well, let me tell you, first of all, redemptive behaviors are actions, attitudes, and words that reflect our redemption and our redeemer. So let me ask you a question. I'm going to meddle this morning. I'm really sticking my nose in your business, I know. But when you want to rant and you want to post and you want to tweet, ask yourself a question. Is this redemptive? Is this redemptive behavior? Are my words redemptive? Are my actions and my attitudes? I've got to tell you, there's times, listen to me. There are times when I have dealt with the injustice that I believe was dealt to us that I've had to check myself so that I could act in a redemptive fashion. Because I gotta tell you, there's an unredemptive side to Pete Jimmy. Redemptive behaviors are. <laughs> Didn't think it was that funny. <laughs> All right? Redemptive behaviors are actions, attitudes, and words that lead people to redemption. How many know we have an opportunity to show people? what the redeemed of the Lord look like, to show people the kindness and goodness of our Redeemer, to show people the loving kindness of our God, that we have an opportunity now in the heat of the moment, in all the garbage and all the junk and all the hatred and all that, that we would be of a different spirit, that we would be of a different voice, that we would be of a different countenance that points people to our Redeemer. As his redeemed priest, we don't pass by to the other side of the face of injustice. We draw near the in injured in redemptive behavior. I draw close. Redemptive behavior is not running away from injustice. Redemptive behavior is coming close to it and dealing with it 
and speaking to it. Redemptive behavior is radical love. Come on, how many know it's easy to love us in the church? Well, some of us. <laughs> some are a lot more lovable than others, right? It's easy to love those who think like you. It's easy to love those who look like you. It's easy to love those who act like you. It's easy for us to love those who, 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 who have the same political persuasion as us. I, sat, I, I wrote something I'm going to read to you at the end, and I wrote this because Pastor Troy was bugging me. He loves to bug me. Hey, why don't you put something out responding to all this? I don't want to. Yeah, but do it anyhow. Put a video out. <laughs> okay. Like I, I, I don't need a wife to nag me. I got Troy. So I, I wrote this piece, and I, and I wrote it, and I liked it. Yeah, I liked it. And I'm looking at it, and I, and, I, and I was getting ready to send it to him. I put it on the teleprompter. I'll read it. And then it struck me. Don't put this out there until you sit and talk with a black man. Until you sit and talk with a man who has a perspective from the other side of the road. And so I text my friend Henry, chaplain at the Benner State Prison. I said, yo, chap, I need a favor. I need you to read this for me. Give me some perspective before I put it out there. And he got back and said, yo, I got a few things. He says, good. He said, nothing bad, but I got to marinate in a few things. I said, well, you want to shoot them to me or you just want to get together and chat? And we spent four hours on my deck talking about all kinds of things. Some of the stuff about the, the state of our society, some about the word of God, some had nothing to do with anything spiritual. We just laughed. He's my friend, and he's a Democrat. <laughs> and he's still saved, I think. <laughs> right? And we love each other. You don't have to think like me for the lo- me to love you. You don't have to look like me for me to love you. You don't have to act like me. Oh, God help you if you do. We've got to be radical lovers of people. We've got to be radical lovers of humanity. We've got to be radical lovers, ladies and gentlemen. Do not allow what you see on the news to strip you of your love for people. It should cause your love to increase. We must, redemptive behavior is radical kindness. That I'm actually kind to people. There's a novel idea. And, and listen to me. That means, how I many know it's easy to be kind face to face sometimes? How I many know it's a lot easier to be unkind on social media? It's a time to be kind, man. Redemptive behavior is radical goodness. We don't return evil for evil. We don't turn mocking for mocking. We don't return insult for insult. We're gentle. We're not harsh. We're not vindictive. We're not defensive. We're gentle. Redemptive behavior is radically patient. Kind of like me with computers, right, Troy? (laughs) He was back there sarcastically nodding his head. It, it, I mean, you know, sometimes it calls to be patient for those who might have an opposing view to you, even if, they, even if they're wrong. 
I mean, you might be wrong, but they also could be wrong. But I mean, there's a, there's, there's a time now that's calling for patience with one another. Patience between people. Redemptive behavior is gentle. Redemptive behavior is radical compassion. Does your heart not break? Does your heart not break at the state of what is happening in our country? Radical compassion isn't followed by yeah, but. Yeah, but. No, yeah, no, no, yeah, but. Redemptive behavior is a righteous anger. It is time to be angry about injustice in the land, no matter who it is perpetrated against. It is time, guess this to me, as believers in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came to establish justice. It is time we work with him in establishing justice. There's a place to be angry. How many of the Bible says to be angry and sin not? I've, I've done a lot of sinful things in anger. I've done some righteous things in anger. I'm not sure which way the scale is sometimes, okay? But we must be angry about the right things. And I would suggest this morning that we are more angry about that man's life being snuffed out of him than destroying a Target store. Yes, I know they shouldn't do it. Yes, I understand that. That's not the issue for the day. The issue is the injustice in the land. The only way I, now listen to me, I'm going to close in like another hour. I mentioned I got a lot to say. The only way I, his redeemed priest, can fully live in redemptive behaviors is through the Holy Spirit. Because I, in my natural, carnal self, do not live from a righteous place. I live from a carnal place. Now, how many know there are lots of things that stir up our carnality? I'm trying to figure out, and I'm doing a little study, on the difference between righteous resistance and carnal resistance. How many know there's a time and a place to resist authority in a righteous manner, and there's a time and a place where all we're doing is because our carnality has been stirred up? The only way I can live as a redeemed priest is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, we must see, we must view, we must see through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because listen to me, James and John said to Jesus, do you want us to kill these people? Do you want us to call down fire? And it was coming from a perspective that was shaped for 700 years. How many of you know that some of us have some ideologies and some perspectives that have been shaped by our forefathers? That have been shaped by our surroundings, but have been shaped, and our perception is warped. And we must sometimes be able to see through the lens of the Holy Spirit. Peter, case in point, Acts chapter 10, he's on the roof at Simon and Tanner's house. The Holy Spirit's now going to deal with the racism that's in his heart, Right? And he begins to show him all these clean and unclean animals coming down on the sheet. And here's these unclean animals. And God says, get up and eat, Peter. Oh, no, no, no. I've never eaten anything unclean, Lord. Don't you call unclean what I've made clean. And the next thing you know, 
Here comes the guys from Cornelius' house, the Gentile, the Roman centurion, whom the angel had sent to Peter's house, to Simon the Tanner's house. The Holy Spirit had to do a work in Peter so he would see what was about to happen, so he would become a prophetic witness in the house of a Gentile. We cannot be the prophetic witness of God until we begin to see through the filter of the Holy Spirit. He must change our thinking in some ways. He must change our perspective, and that's what he does. James and John were looking through a filter of racism. And she said, oh, time out. That's not the spirit of me. We talk about Pentecost Sunday. We talk about the power. Oh, oh. We want, we want power for signs and wonders. Praise God for signs and wonders. We need signs and wonders. We need the miraculous. We need the supernatural. But we must have the power to be able to live out a redemptive behavior. We must. We must have the power of the Holy Spirit. We must hear through the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that he will speak to you? And sometimes when he speaks to you, it won't be what you want to hear. It'll be what you need to hear. Peter, get up and eat. What? Are you crazy? But see, the problem is, sometimes to hear what the Spirit has to say, we need to turn the other voices off. Maybe we need to turn off CNN. Oh, wait, this is the church. Maybe we need to turn off Fox. Maybe we need to turn off social media for a while. Maybe we need to get into a room and lock ourselves up and say, God, what do you have to say to me? Holy Spirit, what do you have to say to me? Speak to me, Lord. Give me a perspective. Let me see. Let me hear. We must speak with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a time for boldness, ladies and gentlemen. You're speaking about, they spoke the word of God with boldness. We must speak the word of God with boldness. We must speak it in the church and to the church, and we must speak it in the land, but it must be the word of God, not the word of men, not the traditions of men. In this day, we must have the power of the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues and bite our tongues. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what, I need more of the power of the Spirit to bite my tongue than speak in tongues. Oh, man, it got quiet in here. I mean, sometimes we just need to be quiet. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just has to say, yeah, but, I gotta, I gotta, but, but, but my opinion matters. No, it doesn't right now. What matters is what the Word of God says. Many times we speak just because it makes us feel better. Sometimes we need the power of the Spirit to shut our mouths, not open our mouths. Oh, pastor, you're meddling way too much today. You better believe I am. We are the kingdom of God. We are the people of God. We are the priest of God. We do not pass by on the other side. We minister. We radically minister. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to prophesy with our mouths and our hearts. Come on. How many know love is prophecy too? Hmm? How many know love is better than prophecy? Yeah, Paul said that. We need to be a prophetic witness that both speaks the word of God and the love of God. 
We need the power of the Holy Spirit to heal broken bodies and broken spirits. Come on. Spirits are broken, folks. Hearts are broken. Jesus said the Spirit of the Lord was all upon him to bind up the brokenhearted, to preach the good news to the poor. How many know that same anointing is on you as a believer? Same Holy Spirit's in you as a believer. Pentecostal power is power that empowers me not to pass by on the other side. Listen, it is easier to go over here. It is easier to go to the other side. I don't have to get in the mess. I don't have to get dirty. I don't have to have my heart broke. I can ignore it. I can turn my face from it. And the other reason is we don't know how to do something over here. How many know that's a frustration? How many know the Holy Spirit is the one that still gives wisdom and strategy? And still gives ideas? Pentecostal power is power that empowers me to live out redemptive behaviors to bring redemption. Last slide, maybe. Pentecostal power is power that empowers me to perform the supernatural outside of me while changing the natural inside of me. Oh, man, does this guy ever need change sometimes? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hmm? That this guy needs the Holy Spirit to arrest my thinking, to arrest my mouth, to arrest my attitude. To say, no, 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 no. See, because see, what we've got to understand is, I, I'm, we are, you and I are in the kingdom of God now. Here's what happens, and I'll get ready to close in another 40 minutes. Come on, Troy. Okay? That was just kind of a false hope, Troy. You and I are saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We, when, when we accept what he does at Calvary, we are saved. The Bible says we are saved, and now we've entered into the kingdom of God. And when we enter into the kingdom of God through the cross of Calvary, the Holy Spirit then enters into us. And the reason he enters into us is because you and I do not know how to live in that kingdom. We don't know how to live in the kingdom of God. We know how to live in the kingdoms of this world. We've been born into the kingdom of this world. We know how to do it. We know how to work by the ways of the world. This new kingdom, I don't know how to live in under and yet God puts a governor in me. The governor inside of me is the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God begins to say, no, 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 that attitude gotta go. No, no, that's not redemptive behavior. That thought process, that's gotta go. The Holy Spirit is working in me, changing in me, so that I can become the prophetic witness outside of me. the kingdom of God you are citizens of the kingdom of God do not lose that through nationalism the kingdom is greater than America its culture is better its value system is better we are called to it we desperately need to see the kingdom we desperately need to show the king. We desperately need to show a kingdom out of this world. And I need the Holy Spirit to do it. Thank God for the miracles and the supernatural. And thank God for the gifts of the Spirit. But if you looked at some of the redemptive behaviors I mentioned, they were the fruit of the Spirit.
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, please let that flow out of you. Please let that flow out of you. Please let that flow out of you. Please allow those redemptive behaviors to flow out of you. Ask yourself, is this redemptive? If it's not redemptive, shut it down. If it's not redemptive, delete it. Delete it. Go home and delete it. Repent. Oh, Pastor, you're not very popular today. Our hearts mourn. Yes, they should mourn. And yes, we know there are all kinds of things that are happening behind the scenes. Some of this stuff that's happening right now, I, I have no problem believing was orchestrated. That doesn't matter. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, because here's what the Bible tells me. Here's what I, here's what I understand. Whether you're black, white, pink, orange, purple, and any other color you want to throw in there. Whether you're a Democrat or Republican. What, no matter what you are, there's only one enemy. And he wars against us all. He's warring against us all. The enemy is out to destroy humanity. All humanity. All humanity. And the moment we become divided against a common enemy, we empower a common enemy. A common enemy is always empowered through disunity. But this is what the Bible tells me. The Bible tells me about the church. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. When you act in radical love, you are showing those authorities in demonic places and heavenly places. No, 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 no. We will not act like you. We will not act like the world. We will operate by the kingdom of God. When you operate in radical compassion and radical love and radical servant and radical gentleness and radical kindness, and all of a sudden you're not operating according to the world, there is a wisdom on display for the rulers and the authorities that war against us in heavenly realms. I'm not joining their side in this world. I'm going to read you something and then I'm done. It's only 17 pages. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's three and it's really big print. But I wrote this and I, and I ran it by chap and then I'm just gonna, you know, it, it's happened again. Another black man losing his life in such a senseless manner. By now, most of you have seen the video of the story of George Floyd. It's both disturbing and it's both disgusting. And what's our response as the church? What's our response as the people of God? Number one, we must grieve. We must grieve. We must grieve. I'm not sure how anyone with the Spirit of Christ within them can watch that video and not be grieved at what they watched. How can you not grieve when you watch a man's life be snuffed out in such a senseless, callous, and insensitive manner? Our hearts grieve over this tragedy. We must mourn, number two. We must mourn with our black brothers and sisters as they once again watch the senseless killing of a man who apparently wrote a bad check or passed a bad bill. Oh. A family lost a son, father, brother, and so on. A race lost a member to senseless injustice. We must mourn with our brothers and sisters. And mourning comes from a foundation of love. As we love our neighbors of any color, we must mourn with them in their pain. 
Number three, we must hear. Talked about that. James 1 says what? That everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We must hear. We must listen and hear what our black brothers and sisters are saying. I sat down with a man I respect and love. I said, tell me your perspective. Give it to me from somewhere I can never come from. I'm a, I grew up in central uh, Pennsylvania. I grew up in a city or around a city that was 96.5% white, 2.5% black, and everything else was their leftover. I don't have the perspective. I don't have the perspective of what it is to be in the inner city. I don't have it. I've been there many times. I don't presume to understand all the issues our brothers and sisters are facing. I don't presume to have all the understanding from outside the situation. We must listen to gain insight and understanding of the concerns of just injustice. Before we speak, we must listen. Before we shout, we must hear. Before we jump on our soapboxes that speak from outside the issue, we must hear from those on the inside of the issue. And we must hear by the Spirit of God. Number four, we must speak. Once we listen, we must speak. Yeah, lots of people are speaking right now in the heat of the moment. Many are speaking in outrage, and rightfully so. But we must do more than speak in the moment, for we must speak on a consistent basis to help formulate systemic change that will stem the tide of injustice in our land. In other words, it can only be in the heat of the moment. How many know it has to be a habitual lifestyle? Our speech must be more than a momentary shout. It must be a lifestyle change to support systemic change. Number five, we must be angry. We must be angry. Why would we not be angry? Why shouldn't we be angry when we see injustice being perpetrated upon people? Why shouldn't we be angry when we see consistent injustice done? Why should we be angry? We should be angry and sin not. We should have a righteous anger that wells up with us and says, this is wrong. This is wrong. It's not right. This has to stop. Anger isn't a sin when it flows from the anger of God. And how many know God is angry? We must be angry with God. We must be more angry about the cause of the protest than we are have the things that have happened out of the protest. There are protesters and there are looters. Don't confuse the two. Number six, we must stop. We must stop minimizing the pain of a people group, especially when we do it from the outside of that people group. I, I cannot, <laughs> how many times have you ever had a child or a grandchild, they get hurt, you go, oh, it doesn't hurt. You're, you're gonna rub something down, it doesn't hurt. They just banged their head off the concrete, but it doesn't hurt. We've gotta stop minimizing the pain of a people, especially from outside. We have to stop defending bad behavior by pointing to other people's bad behaviors. Well, you know, well, I don't care what that guy was. He was wrong too. We must stop, yeah, stop trying to justify actions by pointing fingers at other people's actions. And we must stop with the blanket statements that include the words all or every time. All cops aren't bad. Okay, 99% of them are good. I believe that. All blacks aren't bad. All pastors aren't bad. All pastors aren't bad. All teachers aren't bad. All whites aren't bad. Number six, number seven, seven. We must stand. We must stand. There is a time to take a stand with someone. We must stand with our black brothers and sisters against the injustices that seem to keep repeating themselves. 
We stand in agreement with them on what is truth. And how many know truth is truth, no matter where truth comes from? Truth is truth, even if it comes from a broken pot. We stand against those who would justify, rationalize, and minimize the injustice of the land. We stand with them when we stand against those who would foolishly dismiss their concerns. We stand with them when we govern our attitudes, our actions, and our speech. How many know the Holy Spirit governs us, and how many know we govern each other? There's a time that you look at a friend and you say, knock it off. I love you, but you sound like a moron. Injustice is real. It happens on a daily basis. Racism, sexism, classism, elitism, and every other ism on the face of the earth is an injustice. Injustice always has an oppressed people. Injustice is the violation of the rights of another. Injustice is the act of someone violating the rights of another person. I would like to say to you that the possibility of a world without injustice is possible in our current world system. But in my opinion, it's not a possibility. And why do I say that? Because the nature of the kingdoms of the world are based upon power over people through might and dominance. As long as might and dominance are the foundations of the power of the kingdoms of the world, injustice will always be a reality. We see it in our country as many other nations in the world. There is injustice all over the world against women, children, black, Asian, and yes, whites and others. Yet we as our church are his people, are the ambassadors of a kingdom, not of this world. We are the people of God. We are those whom the Bible says have a citizenship in heaven now. We are those who are citizens of God's kingdom first and America second. Our response must be from the value system of heaven. Our response must be from the culture of the kingdom of God. Our words must be the words of Jesus. Our actions must be the actions of Jesus. Our attitudes must be the attitudes of Jesus. We must demonstrate a kingdom not of this world through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We must demonstrate a kingdom not of this world by seeking justice for all men. We must respond to the injustices around us through the character of the one who died for men from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. As God's people, what our response should be has already been shaped for us. It was shaped for us through the king and a kingdom, not of this world. Jesus sought justice and salvation for all men. And it's not just a response to a moment, but a habitual lifestyle that seeks and promotes justice for all people. It is a consistent message with an intentional pursuit. It is a pursuit that Jesus told his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for his will to be done. For all that is done in the world is certainly not his will. It was not his will that that man had his life snuffed out was not God's will. It was not God's will for George Floyd to have his life taken from him. It was unjust, it was wrong, and it was not God. We, God's people, must pray the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. But we also must demonstrate your kingdom come, your will be done. You see, we demonstrate that value system of his kingdom while living in the kingdoms of the world. If we're going to say the prayer, then we got to live the prayer. If we're going to say the prayer, 
then we're going to live the prayer. His will through us. His kingdom through us. You are a prophetic witness of a king and a kingdom, not of this world. And now's an hour and now's a time that we must, must, must rise to the cause, rise to the occasion, rise to the standard. Don't get sucked into the junk. Don't get sucked into the distraction. There's a mandate on your life. There is a mandate on your life. You are the redeemed priest of God. And the mandate on your life is not getting to heaven. The mandate on your life is to show the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Come on, church. Rise up. Come on, church. Rise up. Rise up. Don't get sucked into it. Don't get pulled into it. Even the best of the kingdoms of the world are still the kingdoms of the world. And there will be a day, the Bible tells me, that the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdoms of our God. But it is not this hour. See, we get confused sometimes. It is not this hour. There is the prince of the power of the air that we war against. Come on, church. Come on, church. Fight the right enemy. Fight the right enemy. Father, help us today. Help us, God. We say, Holy Spirit, help us. We say, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us. We want to do your work. We thank you for the gifts of the Spirit. But this day, this Pentecostal day, this Pentecost Sunday, we say, empower us to love. Empower us to have compassion. Empower us to speak. Empower us to, to, to serve. Empower us with humility. Empower us with the fruit of the Spirit. We say we need your power in this hour. But it's not necessarily the power of the supernatural we need today. It is the power to change this natural man into a spiritual man. It becomes a prophetic witness of a king and a kingdom, not of this world. And so we, we say this all, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place, in this earthly temple. Help us live out redemptive behaviors that reveal a redeemer. Help us live out redemptive behaviors that lead people to redemption. And Father, we pray for our country. Father, we pray for every state where there's something on. Dick Scolton said there's a protest plan for Holidaysburg. 200 people are supposed to be coming there. And Father, we pray right now the peace of God. Father, we pray that you would set up a standard against everyone that would come in there with a nefarious or evil, wicked intent, God. Father, we pray for a peaceful protest. We pray for the people of God to be in the presence of peace. Father, empower us not to pass by on the other side of the room. In Jesus' name.